Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher, and we have on the program again today, Dr. Jonathan Fisher. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Molinism, and uh, just, uh, just to establish a baseline of what Molinism is, it's a philosophy that seems to be developed in response to the idea that God's foreknowledge of future events render those events necessary events and fatalism is in fact true and so molinists their counterclaim is that god knows what we are going to do before we do it but in fact it's not fated because we could have done otherwise those events are not uh, closed events they're not fated events because there are other possibilities god just knows the future in that he knows what we will choose rather than what we don't choose. He knows what we will choose in all circumstances. Therefore, the events themselves are not fated, but they are uh, free choices. But also at the same time, God can know them infallibly, know those events. So you're tracking with that definition? I think so. All right. So I, I did want to talk. I had a bunch of talking points because... I've been dealing with Molinists a little bit more than usual lately. And uh, so it's it's important to try to, when dealing with Molinists, represent them fairly, number one. And number two, uh, clearly, clearly delineate any issues you might have with the belief so that uh, they can't they accuse you of misrepresentation or not understand your criticism. So I have right here my first point of, uh, I don't think it's going to be very contentious. An axiom is an established, accepted, or self, self-evidently self true claim of a philosophy. Would you say that's accurate? I think that's the definition, yeah. Yeah, so one other thing to keep in mind is that if your philosophy has mutually exclusive axioms, then it is a false philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that, that's saying that if you have a basic truth in your philosophy and another basic truth in your philosophy, now you have two basic truths. If they are mutually exclusive, that means only one of them can exist. They can't exist together. Then your philosophy is false. In philosophy, axioms function as claims. That's That should be pretty self-evident. To show if a philosophy is logically valid, one must look at the claims. While axioms cannot be proven true, because axioms are supposed to be axiomatic, that means uh, they're supposed to be accepted as they are, and you don't have to prove an axiom. So while axioms cannot be proven true, the worldviews they describe can be proven false based on the consistency of those axioms. And so if you have two mutually exclusive claims that are axiomatic to your philosophy, if they contradict, your philosophy is false. We're tracking there? I think so, yes. So if two claims contradict, then one or both of those claims are false. So that doesn't mean that uh, if, if you have two axioms and that's part of your philosophy and one contradicts the other, that doesn't mean the other one's automatically false. One of them could be true, could be true, but uh, one or both are false. They're not both true. Right. All right, and uh, lastly, point of discussion, a claim is not evidence, nor must a claim be accepted. That, that's, 
<laughs> it's so funny that uh, uh, when you're interacting with individuals and they just make a claim and they're, and then you, you dispute the claim and they point back, Hey, didn't you just listen to my claim? Well, claims, not evidence. It's, you got to prove your claims. You can't just say your claims. That's, that's what the debate's about, whether your claim is accurate or valid. So, so you got to clarify though, the difference between a claim and such thing as a logical truism, right? For, for example, like you, we opened this whole discussion up by saying if two things are mutually exclusive, then your philosophy is false and either one or the other is false. You could argue that's a claim, but that's like a fundamental principle of logic as well. Right. If, if someone disagrees with that, I don't think I have a discussion with them. I just that, uh, say like, true. all right, thanks for talking to me. Uh, goodbye. Uh, hope to see you sometime. Never again. Thank you so very much for this conversation. Yeah. So there are some claims though, that you have to, you have to all agree on at the very beginning to even have a discussion. You all have to start at the same sort of common understanding of what truth is and what you accept. Yeah, like the, the laws of logic should be axiomatic. Uh, if uh, A equals B, then B equals A, something like that, should be axiomatic. It shouldn't be disputed and uh, that people yeah. should be able to accept that. And so that's why it's important that I lay down these first principles right away that uh, if you have mutually exclusive axioms, one or both are false. Because that's actually going to be the point of contention uh, between me and Molinists, I contend that Molinism wants mutually exclusive axioms, both true at the same time. And they do this sleight of hand when you're doing, when you're involved in discussions with them, uh, they do this shifting where they shift to one axiom or the other, depending on what you're talking about, trying to claim that their views are consistent and just claiming you don't understand them while they're not holistically looking at their, their views. So I think that's very important. If uh, two axioms are mutually exclusive, then one or both are false. All right, so Molinism is the idea that God knows infallibly what we're gonna do in the future, but what we're gonna do in the future is not fated or predestined because we there's a possibility that we chose otherwise. There are other possible worlds that could have been actualized. God just knows what we are going to do in any certain situation. Do you see any uh, fundamental issues uh, right away with, with those definitions? I don't know what the, the term could have been means in that question. In right. The, in the statements. So Absolutely. you have to define, like, what, what do you mean by could have been? Because... There is like, arguably, like the whole principle of fatalism is the is the concept that you know there was only one possibility in the first place, and it's the one that you're in. Right, and and so uh, a normal Molinist response would be, if God knew you would have picked otherwise, or if you would have picked otherwise, God would have known that you had a choice to pick between the red this, shirt and the blue like, shirt. Th th this is the whole problem. You're just like using the same words when i asked you for a definition of like what potentiality is your response is to just start using potentiality words even harder yep yeah that that's exactly what happens in these discussions i could pull up my i 
I just got into an interesting back and forth with one of these head Molinist guys, and uh, that's exactly what he does to me. Um, and I stated, I stated to him, uh, what what is the possibility that I said I, I drank coffee today, and uh, what's the possibility that I wouldn't have drank coffee today? And what what do you think his response was? Only God knows. No, no. Um, in Molinism, do you think that they believe in in uh, possibilities? Like, like what's the probability of something happen? Happening? Oh, his, like, his answer is zero. Well, no, that his answer would be zero if he was being honest. His real answer is um, that's that's categorically uh, not relevant to this discussion. Uh, we we can't talk about possibilities or probabilities of events happening. What's the probability that I didn't drink coffee this morning? Uh, that's an inaccurate way of describing the conversation. So he's trying to categorically reject me just asking him what's the probability of an event happening. Because in Molinism, remember, God has unfalsifiable knowledge of the world. And so there is no probability, possibility, I would say, if if something has zero probability, I would say that it has zero possibility of happening. Um, there is no probability that anything else would actualize other than what God knows, or else that would falsify his knowledge. Part of the definition of God's knowledge is it's unfalsifiable. That means God can't know something's going to happen, and then something else happens. So I don't understand his point, though. If, if, if his point is that when he's talking about the words could and potential and anything like that, and you talk about, you say, well, let's talk about events and talk about the potential of events. And he says, that's a categorical error. Then it sounds like he's talking about something entirely different. Right. right. And I think that's actually what happens. And so here is my next talking point that I have on my list. Molinism is fatalism plus imaginary wor worlds that could never exist. So Molinism is fatalism plus imaginary worlds that can never exist. So in this system, they want some sort of reality, which is 100% certain with no probability or possibility. Uh, they, they won't, they'll say there's no probability. They might, but they'll say, oh, there's a possibility that uh, it actualized somehow different. And when you try to get them to elaborate on what they mean by possibility, it's, it's part of their axiom. Their axiom is... That it's axiomatic that these events are not necessary events because there are possible worlds in which I picked the blue shirt rather than the red shirt. And so they're going to say the events that happen are not necessary events. They are contingent events and they have possibility to have been otherwise. What distinguishes the possible world from the real world then? The real world is the one that uh, gets actualized. There's a divine creation decree that's, uh, that is uh, basically co-equal to God. William Lane Craig describes a logical hierarchy in God's decision-making uh, process, not to be confused in his, in his words, not to be confused with a chronological priority in which God chooses the world timelessly and eternally which world to actualize. But this does not cause discursive thought in God, so it's not... It's not to be conceived of as God making a decision in his head at some point in time. Just for clarity, William Lane Craig is a Molinist? 
Yeah, he's probably the most famous Molinist out there. He uh, does a lot of uh, debates against atheists. You're probably aware, maybe even have seen some of those. And uh, he is a proponent of Molinism. And he writes about Molinism in his book, The Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview. Okay. So in his mind, um, the world is actualized in some sort of way that doesn't add knowledge to God's mind, but there were possible worlds that weren't actualized. <laughs> so it's, it's like believing in the many worlds hypothesis, but believing that there's some arbitrary, I don't know, arbitrary is the right word, but the, the divine decree has, has clung to a certain one, even though yes. there are many worlds that, exist in potential state and and but but the thing is he's not really clarifying what potential state means then yes absolutely because it's actually one of their axioms one of their axioms is that god is a necessary being nothing else is necessary everything else has potentiality therefore uh everything else has other possible worlds and so that's what they will actually default to when you start talking about fatalism you say well if god knows events in a fatalistic sense or unfalsifiable sense they couldn't have actualized differently and they'll go back and say no there are possible worlds in which this was different uh we we see if you're wearing a blue shirt you could have wore a green shirt and they'll, they'll just describe what uh alternate possibility could have been because it's axiomatic that that event must have potentiality right but I mean, one of the things that really bothers me about uh, assuming that you're defining everything in the terms that they would define it, like there's, there's a deep category error where our brains, like we like to separate notions. Like here's my hand, this hand is separate from, this arm is separate from the elbow all the way, everything is separate because we're defining them separate, but they're really all also all connected and you really say it's all me and that sort of thing and then maybe this is my shirt how is that connected to me in the sense of actualization because of the divine decree everything that is actualized had to exist then because god is a necessary being his divine decree is is a therefore a necessary thing and then everything that flows from that divine decree would have to be necessary by the same basis otherwise it wouldn't be the same god right Right, but in William Lane Craig's mind, the divine decree has a logical priority, which doesn't make the divine decree a necessary decree. There's potentiality in the decree, even though the it's timeless. Itself. Yes, it's even though it's timeless and eternal and, and huh? with God, it, 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 there's a logical priority which he. What well, makes it distinct from God? So, so the, the divine decree itself. Because is, it's higher, it's lower down the hierarchy of the logical priorities. Is his answer? Like that's his literal answer? Yeah, that like, that's uh, his literal answer. Sounds like a word salad. Like I said, my hand is lower down the priority, but really, in, in reality, they're they're flow from one another in a sense. And so the only thing you can do is try to find out what distinguishes my hand from my arm, right? right. And he's not distinguishing it in any sense of actuality. Like you brought up at the very, very, very beginning of this, he's just claiming it. He's yeah, not, no, it's, he's it's not making a distinction. Okay, so 
So, 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 so the entire philosophy then is just to declare axioms and demand you accept them. Yes, yes. Uh, so my next talking point here is, well, we'll read Pixel of Light here. He says, in another possible world, I would be able to tune in live, but I'll have to catch the recording later in, uh, in this actualized world. It's, it's so funny. I think he's highlighting the ridiculousness of a lot of these, these terminologies and the extent of how absurd philosophy gets it at some points. Uh, Idol Killer writes the alphabet is a logical sequence, but it does nothing. So too are CT classical theo theisms appeals to logical priorities. And then uh, provisionist perspective says, hey, guys. So we're talking about Molinism. My next point that I have on my list of uh, talking points here are words are not meaningless. In Molinism, words are meaningless. Nothing matters. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. He's just it, declaring a bunch of things. And I don't know. I don't even know what the word means. So you ask them what it means, and they just declare you accept it. That's what I'm hearing. I'm sure. I'm sure you've read. I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure you read it. Uh, Atheism: The Case Against God by George H. Smith. I've and read one, parts of that. One of his complaints is that the Christians just assume uh, categories into existence that. I George H. Smith seems like a fatalism, a fatalist himself. He's an atheist. And he doesn't believe in like possible worlds. So he complains that the Christians introduce these categories that are not self-evident. And like you said, just demand that they accept them. And I think that's exactly what's going on here is that uh, the Molinist says there are these possible worlds, but they can't describe a scenario in which those possible worlds take place. God can't change them. Well, like you said, even saying that a scenario in which it takes place is categorically not what they're trying to say, right? Because right. They're, they're defining it as sort of like this nether existence or some virtual reality that, you know, God, by his divine decree, can bring into existence, right? So if, in there, if I'm understanding what you're saying, and again, like, I am not an expert on Molinism. I don't read or talk to these people. I'm just basing it off what you're saying. But... Uh, it sounds like what, what you're essentially saying is that um, all, all worlds are in the same sort of state of existence and then God sort of gives some sort of like divine inspiration to one. But they're yeah. all basically the same, like they're all worlds. They're all, they all exist in whatever the word potential means as an existing thing. So here's, here's how I would model it. So being a computer programmer, uh, let's say that you have an object and it's on your screen and then there's a toggle. Oh, and maybe it's a color toggle. You could toggle it green, red, blue. And so that toggle could be any of those colors, but the one that is chosen, the one that it's set at is green. And so the object has a property in which it potentially could be another color, but it's not set at that color. And God knows unfalsifiably what toggles those objects are going to be set to eternally. Right. So all the, all the internal wiring is there for every possible state. Yeah. John needs more furniture in his room too echoey. He's working on that. He just bought a house. So he's uh, trying yeah. to fill it up. It'll take so. some time. Sorry about that. <laughs> Get closer to the mic. It's like, why would you have a conversation about Molinism uh, with someone who doesn't study it, who doesn't know that Craig is the leading proponent? The conversation is doing nothing but leading him to reject the idea. 
Well, Cosmic Junglist, you are invited on. I will post you the link, and uh, you can come on and defend it. Oh, Cosmic Comic Junglist is a demonist? I have no idea. Well, sure. Um, I think the idea of having a person who doesn't know about this is just to try to get some sort of instinctual concept of it, though, right? Someone who doesn't right. know about it, how are you going to think in terms, if it's introduced to you, whether you're going to accept it or not? We, we actually started out this discussion with me just describing the basics of Molinism, and I didn't do it in a hostile way. And so I think I represented it fairly, and he could evaluate it as we go along. But if you want to come uh, defend it, I don't know if that posted on YouTube. Uh, yeah, it, it looks like it did. into the comments. Well, yeah, and I, and I guess it flowed to flowed to YouTube. So he might come on and defend it. But that's interesting. And so one of the things that I point out in Molinism, words are meaningless. To say something is a possibility, but there's there's no chance of it actually ever happening. There never was a chance of it actually happening. Remember, the, the decree to make the current world is uh, eternal, and it didn't flow to God. God didn't have a decision process in his mind at a point in time. He didn't gain knowledge about the decision he's going to pick. I mean, I, again, I think all these things that you're listing are, what you say, category errors. They wouldn't use those words at all. They right? wouldn't use which words? The chances of something happening. They all basically have the same chance, right? No, not the, only, the, only the current world has a chance of coming about. They, they wouldn't want to use the word chance. Like I talked about yeah, with- Don't use the word chance at all, right? Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't want to use it. In my interactions with them, they don't want to use the probability, chance, anything well, like that. They just it, want to say it, there's it possibilities. Like based, based off what you're saying, you wouldn't think in terms of chance at all. There's a single actualized reality and there's an, however many potential realities, right? But the single actual reality is the only thing. And so there's no yep. change. The chances of things happening, it doesn't make sense. Right. And so I, I think the word chance does not make sense. Yeah. So that is part of their axiom is that God has unfalsifiable knowledge about the world. So if it's unfalsifiable, that means God himself cannot change that knowledge to be something other than what he knows will happen. There's no chance of uh, God changing what he knows. There's no probability of it. And I would say that uh, here's one of my other talking points. If there's no probability of something, it is not possible. Now, I posted this on, I posted this comment on, I think it was Soteriology 101, something like that. And uh, one of the first responses was like, if you believe this, you're an open theist. <laughs> if you believe that if there's no probability of something, it's not possible. If you believe that statement, you're an open theist. That was the immediate response, which I thought was funny because um, we're, we're talking about a system which rejects the probability of things, but still calling it a possibility, even though there's zero probability, there's zero chance of those things yeah. happening. Yeah, so those, uh, they're apparently taking the words that you use in mathematics and denying the meaning to them and redefining them in a philosophical context. Yeah, then they use them axiomatically, that's what we talked about, and uh, they say, these events 
are axiomatically not necessary events, but possible so, events. So fatalists wouldn't use those words either then? Is that, is that what you're saying? Because I think, as far as I know, Calvinists are perfectly happy using those words, and, and they would agree with you, right? Yeah, Calvinists, yeah, Calvinists absolutely agree with me on these. So why would they declare you're an open theist if you said that? It's, it's, if you're not a Molinist, you would say that, right? Well, yeah, that, that could be true, but I thought it was a really funny interesting interaction it's a weird reaction yeah because it's like you're not paying attention to everyone else thinks opposite than you do everyone else not just some random person so okay here's here's a question i have in my talking points if it is known that a random number generator will never spawn the number five is five a possibility Um, like, so obviously I would say no, but, um, I think what they're saying is that like, so, so think about this, you're saying it will not do it. You only know what it's going to do if you run the numbers, right? Right. So that actually gets into more definitions. What does random mean? If right. it's truly random, uh, maybe the, it's, I could write a script for a random number generator that discludes the number five. Right. So but, in the wiring, it's not there versus right. so being let's, to produce it. Let's say God had some like vision of the future of this random number generator, generates all the numbers that it's going to generate, and it doesn't jump generate the number five. Was five a possibility if God has eternal knowledge of all numbers that this random generator would kick out? I mean, it depends on what you mean by true randomness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that that's actually uh, a separate point, one that I hadn't planned on getting to today. But the idea that if God knows our actions infallibly, then we really don't have free will because free will could be really equated to randomness. And if God knows all our actions because he knows all, all us in meticulous detail, and the generated outcome of any inputs into us such that he can know what we're going to do in all circumstances, then we really don't have free will. We are just operating as a biological machines. Yeah. I think, I think you and I have some contention over this though, because like this, this notion of free will itself is, is undefinable. And I think by its very nature, it's intended to be undefinable. By declaring, because the definition seems to be just saying free will is not random and not chaotic. And, uh, but but how do you actually, besides that, how are you defining it? I, I don't know. Well, we, we, got a, we got a winner here. We got a Molinist who doesn't understand Molinism. And he writes this. He says, that's incorrect. The decree to actualize this world out of the possible and feasible isn't eternal. God didn't have timeless knowledge of his own action to actualize this world. Well, that's denied by William Lane Craig, for example, and uh, the guy I just interacted with on Soteriology 101. I'm going to pull up his comment, and uh, we'll talk about this. Sometimes Molinists don't know their own theology, which is pretty funny. So in Molinism, God cannot learn knowledge. He does not gain knowledge. He does, his knowledge does not increase. He does not make decisions 
that increases his knowledge set that would violate the classical attributes affirmed by normal Molinists who actually know their own theology. I'm trying to pull that up. So I'm going to keep yeah, searching. To share the screen. Yeah, as soon as I find it. I should have had it pulled up, but I have a whole video where I go over William Lane Craig making all these various points. <laughs> oh, here's it. It's Tim Stratton. Uh, Tim Stratton. My interactions with him. Okay, so here's Tim Stratton. And uh, let's try to share this screen here. And uh, we'll see how well this works. It says uh, share, share screen, Chrome tab, Facebook. Oh, sharing some Facebook here. All right, here he says this. The knowledge possessed by a maximally great being is perfect. It will never be falsified by definition and includes truth and truth can't be falsified. So is God a maximally great being in, in uh, Molinism or does he gain knowledge? Um, so he's claiming he's maximally great, right? Right. So he, his idea of God is not that God's gaining knowledge right. and uh, the, his knowledge doesn't, isn't, doesn't move from potential to truth or anything like that. He has uh, unfalsifiable knowledge, unfalsifiable knowledge about everything. This is normal Molinism. William Lane Craig writes the same thing uh, in his works. We talk. Uh, I'm trying to pull that up. William Lane Craig, logical priority. I go over it in my other Molinist video. And uh, I do quote him. I have him on camera saying the exact same thing. Uh, William Lane Craig de describing what he means by God's knowledge and how God cannot gain knowledge. This is not a debate point. It's I think it's just somebody not knowing. <laughs> Here he goes. Uh, this is Doctrine of God, Part 15, God's Middle Knowledge. This is from Reasonable Faith. William Lane Craig will try to share that screen uh, to show what this is, uh, to show William Lane Craig on this. But it's not a debate point right now. It's uh, somebody not knowing their own theology. I'll try to zoom in. So he says, so here's him talking about God's foreknowledge. If God foreknows everything that happened, including our choices, then are, are we free to do otherwise? As God foreknows it, sh uh, we shall do. In other words, does God's foreknowledge imply kind of theological fatalism? He says, I've argued that the conclusion does not follow as long as we keep clear the distinction between chronological priority of God's knowledge to the event foreknown, but the logical or <laughs> explanatory, explanatory <laughs> priority of the event foreknown to God's knowledge. God's knowledge does not determine the event we use the language to determine, we would say that the event determines what God foreknows. And so there's not a chronological point, uh, priority in God's knowledge because God would be gaining knowledge. I got William Lane Craig on video saying as much. So in Molinism, God cannot have his knowledge set increase. That's, that's standard Molinism. And uh, here we go. <laughs> the provisionist perspective says maths, the Achilles heel of classical omniscience. Wait, so, so in Molinism, then, uh, I guess this guy disagrees with the, some of these fundamental 
declarations by William Lane Craig. But what, what he's saying here is that God already knows every action that he takes throughout the Bible as well. Yes. Um, God can the divine decree also includes his own actions within that decree. Yes. Yes, that's ex exactly true. And he has an interview with a man. I'm going to try to find it. We'll try to pull it up here. But he has an interview in which he talks about the type of uh, knowledge that God has and that how he, he doesn't actually increase or decrease. Um, actually, I, I do clip him out in my uh, two-minute open theism videos, which I talk about this. Here's God's knowledge. Here's where I clip him out. So tell me if you could hear this. Tell me if... Is that I'm coming not, in? I'm not hearing. You're not hearing? Yeah. Do you only need the text? I can't hear it. Okay. I will reshare the screen. Stop the screen. I'm going to share the screen and make sure that I got share audio as well. Yeah, there we go. Knowledge is internal to God, identical, distinguishable. Yeah, so this is classical theism. Attributes. In this view, God's knowledge is not gained from any source external to himself. God does not look into the future to know what will happen. He does not test man to know what they will do. He does not hear prayers or watch the world. He cannot receive knowledge. The knowledge is inherent. If God were to receive knowledge, he becomes changeable, dependent. He is no longer perfect. He is made better by achieving greater knowledge, which must be rejected of a perfect God. This knowledge is not all knowledge, but only facts. And this would be knowledge, for example, how to ride a bicycle, or how a watermelon tastes, or, for example, how it feels to be a sinner. God wouldn't have that sort of feeling. And therefore, omniscience is defined in terms of propositional knowledge, of knowing only in all truths, but not necessarily having all non-propositional knowledge. God is only a God of numbers. Oh, okay, it, it, it's in the same interview that he talks about the type of knowledge, but there he's denying God gaining experience, ex experiential knowledge, or knowledge of uh, the type of how to ride a bike. God wouldn't have those types of knowledge, but God's omniscience, which is part of his eternal character, is knowing all true propositions. It doesn't gain, it doesn't change. It's not a data set that increases, id Molinism. And so that's interesting that we came across a guy who seems to style himself as a Molinist, claiming that God's propositional knowledge changes or increases. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's denying classical theism out the gate. You're, he's an open theist, basically. <laughs> so welcome to the party. Welcome yeah. to being an open theist. Uh, I met a Calvinist lady the other day, and she said that God has external influences from outside himself. And I said, welcome to open theism. You're an open theist, too. So we got a, a Molinist convert in a cosmic jungist, and we have, uh, what, a Calvinist uh, convert in that very adamant lady, adamantly saying that she's not, not uh, an open theist. So William Lane Craig, uh, omniscience. Oh. I try to pull that up. It's that interview uh, this, with this guy. Is God all-knowing? I think there's a series of these interviews. What, what does that mean? Traditionally, a person is omniscient if for any proposition, P, that person knows that P 
and does not believe not P. In other words, P meaning any, any, any proposition, any, any statement, statement of fact. Or right, exactly. So that an omniscient person would be someone who knows only and all truths. We have Jamie, so I'll add Jamie you know, to stream. Truth. I mean, what, what kinds of it's just windy. We can't hear anything. Well, that's why I defined it in terms of a proposition. proposition. So we got me echoey. He's I'll put windy. him on. <laughs> I'll put him on mute for now. Declarative sentence. It expresses a certain information content, and the idea of omniscience is that there is no fact of the matter. There is no uh, truth, true information that this person does not know, and he believes no false proposition. So he would know only in all facts. But there are more things in the world than just pure facts. Well, that's that when he starts talking about it. But that whole interview talks about the Molnus concept of omniscience. God is omniscient, meaning he knows all truths. He's not gaining knowledge. He It's not added to him. That's standard Molnism. So, Jamie, if you want to talk, you just have to unmute yourself. Looks like you already have. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Can you hear me? I'm in my car. Yes. Absolutely. Hey, I, I am the same clear. guy on. Uh, nice to meet you guys. I, I am the same guy on uh, Facebook. You know, I'm a uh, part-time Molinist for the last eight years. I know that we've had uh, some interactions in some of my previous Facebook accounts because I've been banned so many times uh, <laughs> on uh, the Open Theism pages. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It, well, that's more the political. Well, side yeah. Than everything else. You've been uh, so there's. You've been sucked. Yeah. <laughs> So there's that. Uh, I, I may have been slightly mistaken in what I meant. What I meant is, uh, and Craig and, and all the free thinking guys, they'll, they'll agree with this. And, and I posted this in in that thread. The, the key difference here that I'm trying to enunciate on is God doesn't have actual middle knowledge of his own actions that he'll take in his free decree. So he doesn't know prior to that logical moment he decides to do something, what he's going to do. Does does he gain knowledge? Does he gain the knowledge of what he himself does? Uh, here's how here's how Craig and them get around that. You know, I'm I'm ambiguous on it, and I, and I might frame it differently because I'm not as technically sound as perhaps they are. But the the issue there is they'll say that since God's uh 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 you know his natural knowledge and his middle knowledge come before his actions, but his action. Pre his action to create the world right in his in his free knowledge precedes time they'll say that whole segment right happens yeah you you cut off uh so i'll finish your sentence it happened at the same moment it wasn't a chronological event and uh there's logical priorities but not chronological priorities sorry are you still with us is that accurate Yeah, you, you you unmuted Jamie. <clears throat> no, yeah, well, he's he's not like muted here, but uh, his phone cut off, so he's in his car, so he probably uh, lost lost reception. Okay. But that is accurate what he's saying. Um, in order to get around this uh, problem of God's gaining knowledge of His own actions, they build this not a chronological priority, but a logical priority. So it all happens at the same instance, in in such a way that God, there's not. A time where God's actually gaining knowledge, but his knowledge of his own acts are I, eternal and falsifiable as I, well. I, I don't understand how it's both eternal and it's somehow what's what he's calling middle knowledge. 
of where he, he didn't know what he was going to do until he did it, but he had already always done it. Right. So that's, that's one of the, the things that uh, I try to point out by putting these little flow charts up. It's can the, the future that God knows will happen. Can God choose to do something else? Uh, can we choose to do something else if God tells us the future that's going to happen? Because it's really funny. They'll often point to the Bible and times where God what says something's going to happen. Oh, oh, we lost him. I, I think he just accidentally hit hit exit. But they'll point to times in the Bible where God says something's going to happen and then it happens. And they say, see, he he knew unfalsifiably what was going to happen. And then they'll turn to, turn to times where God says, uh, David, if you stay in this city, uh, the people are going to turn you over to Saul. And they say, see, he knows what would have happened in that circumstance. And it's like, okay, it's, um, that, uh, it's, uh, it is something, um, just pointing out that people knew probabilities is not pointing out that God has any sort of middle knowledge or or showing that God's knowledge of the future is unfalsifiable. And the fact that God points out things would happen that don't happen kind of undermines that entire idea that God's talking about an unfalsifiable future. So their evidence doesn't quite line up. They do what I, I like to point out Calvinists like to do. They don't actually have proof texts. They have talking points. So they point to a verse, and that verse, you know, it sounds interesting, and so then I mean, they just talk about it. Based on the construction you gave of Molinism, I don't know how you could have a proof text because it, it's a very abstract philosophy, right? Yeah, absolutely. The Bible is, is not written in a way to, like, could go with certain axioms, declare them, and then prove them. This isn't, like, Plato writing the Bible. So, I, like, I don't know if, if even if you are a Molinist and think it's true, and, and uh, looks like Molinism itself, it, it requires theism, but it doesn't require Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. So it looks like you, you have to argue it purely from a philosophical basis, right? So he, here are my claims about Molinism. Yeah, in Molinism, there are no other possible worlds, despite what they say. Uh, and we know that is true because God eternally and unfalsifiably knows all propositions. There is never a possibility for those other propositions to actualize, to come about. They weren't actually possibilities. For something to be a possibility, there has to be some probability that it would happen. If there's no probability of something happen, it's not a possibility. I mean, what, what, what makes me queasy about this whole debate right now is that all the terms seem to be defined differently from different people right and and it has to there's you, you're not going to find a good definition of what it means to ha have a probable world how someone could describe an event as a necessary event versus a probable event yeah. or possible event so it and seems like if you're a monist like you would probably do better to not even use the same words other people use to mean something Right. Are, are you back with us, Jamie? You cut out. I don't see him on the list. Oh, uh, I got to re-add him. Uh, yes, I am. Thank you. Sorry. Okay. You cut out. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I'm at Taco Bell and I'm having trouble. <laughs> Uh-oh. Are, are we going to hear some weird noises? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not eating yet. What kind uh, of Taco Bell trouble are you having? <laughs> no. I, I, I do see where some of your uh, some of your uh, some of the issues are on the on the idea of the possibility or the feasibility of a world. And in actuality, 
since God's knowledge is timeless, you know, regarding that logical priority list, uh, that it's not actually possible or feasible that something other than green or red or whatever it is, this person does this happens. Now, you're right there. Now, they're talking about feasibility prior to God's free act to actualize a world. I don't know why you say prior and also declare that there's no chronological time. Well, but they say logical priority too. So logically prior, they use the same term. So I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah, he's asking you to defend the concept that that's an actual thing rather than a nothing. Well, that goes into, I think, two of the things that, that are, are backloaded into this or frontloaded into this is the modality system that they go off of. Like, I think a lot of the issues are like the, the possible world semantics that they go off of, which is different than some of the contemporary possible world semantics with 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 that. And and they go into some of those arguments and some of the more detailed literature about, well, which which semantic are you using and does it line up? And, and so I think a lot of this is the rejection of the semantic that they use, which is understandable because it is like a priori or it's or, you know, it's a, it's an axiom, as you put it, that, hey, we're going to use this system of possible worlds and then throw it into Molinism. And so it's not Molinism per se, it's that system that kind of is the issue that I've noticed in my readings, When I, because I read a lot of people that uh, have counter arguments, of course, in the literature and, and try to understand it. So. so here's my claim. If God has eternal, unfalsifiable knowledge of all events that happen, then all events are necessary events. So how would we be in Molinism? It says that uh, those events aren't necessary events. How would you distinguish or prove uh, by showing the properties of event to distinguish it between a necessary event and a possible event? I think that's a good question. And in our thread, like, like there's, there's encyclopedia, you know, there's, there's philosophy encyclopedias online that talk about the issue of this modal problem of where do you put the necessary quantifier on? Now, what, 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 I, what, we, what I try to explain in, in the thread is that the necessary quantifier isn't that necessarily John will, Jamie will go to Taco Bell. The necessary quantifier goes Let's on necessarily not. God knows that Jamie contingently will go to Taco Bell. Yeah, but what does that mean? I yeah. Uh, well, I, 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 this is all about, this is all the, the, the standard logical calculations that, you know, these guys that are smarter than I do, than I am, they do. So, but, and that's outside of Molinism. That issue of necessary and free actions, that's a historical argument. That's not necessarily yeah, something. If Go ahead. So the, uh, the properties of a necessary event is it has to happen in all possible worlds. And so if there's, okay. if God has unfalsifiable eternal knowledge of this one world, this one world is what's going to actualize and nothing else can actualize. His knowledge is unfalsifiable. Then the event you just described, you going to Taco Bell, that is by definition a necessary event. But it's a different type of necessity. That's that's what that's getting into in the thread that I posted. Well, just what's coming the, from the article? What's the definition of a necessary thing? What what, well, what there's, makes there's, something there's, necessary? There's that an event is necessary, but then there's that God, God God's knowledge of the future is necessary. So the here, Molinists, so Molinists think that God's future is necessary. And contingently, something happens, right? It could have been otherwise in a different possible world. But like you noticed, God didn't actualize that world. So in one real sense, you're right. It couldn't have been otherwise. Molinists don't deny that. They're so, just saying in another sense, it could have been because it's contingent. And this goes into the issue is that the creature that God foresees does have actual libertarian free will. 
that's that's the the clincher. So, so, so those are all those are all claims, though. And so what I'm sure. trying to do is sure. get a definition of what makes something necessary, then apply that definition to Jamie going to Taco Bell, and then we could see if Jamie going to Taco Bell actually was necessary, or if it's not necessary. Well, it depends on where you put the quantifier. Well, what, what does necessary? Do mean? What does necessary mean? What what would make something a necessary thing? Uh, I'm not. I'd have you know, as far as philosophers are concerned, we'd have to pull up the dictionary to see to make sure that we're correct. Well, yeah, but, you know, I, I they, do they that in my William Lane. I yeah. Right? Could, <laughs> okay. But but if in other possible worlds it could have been otherwise, well then that's how they that's their claim to it not being necessary in that sense. Because right. there's possible worlds where I don't go to Taco Bell, right? I don't so think there the are, not in Molinism. What's that? I, I believe the, the argument is those other worlds aren't possible. Right. By the definition of what well, they're, possible they're feasible world is, world. They're feasible worlds. That's how no. the distinction. Feasible God could have chose those, but he chose not to. By the definition that Molinists use of possible and necessary, in Molinism, there are no other possible worlds, except for the world that exists, which is a necessary event, a, a necessary world. By your own definitions, I know you claim otherwise. Uh, th there's always this shifting of axioms, as we pointed out at the beginning of this podcast, that when Molnists try to, they, they, they don't hold the axioms co consistent at the same time and always shift to the other one. We want definitions of what possible means and necessary mm -hmm. means, and then we apply them to the events and then see. You can't just ad hoc claim that these events are in fact possible because that's your axiom. We want to look at the definitions and see if they meet the definition. What, which does does Craig and the rest of them have definitions that you disagree with? How are their axioms not lining up with their definitions? Uh, because, uh, yeah, I, I have the whole podcast where I take all of William Lane Craig's definitions and I show how they apply to the world that's actualized. And so in Molinism, using Molinist definitions, the world that exists is the only possible world and it is a necessary world by their definitions, despite what they claim. Despite what they claim, okay. So, so you're you're just disagreeing that their their understanding of necessary isn't correct, even though they have distinctions of necessary and possibility and feasibility that you don't agree that that lines up. That's yeah, the issue. I'll I'll right now pull up William Lane Craig's book on it. We'll read the definition of necessary, and then we will see if if given bonus uh, axiom that uh, God knows all things unfalsifiably, unchangeably, eternally. If if his definition of necessary applies to Jamie going to Taco Bell, yeah, but but he, I you I I know what you're getting ready to say. Yes, God's knowledge is necessary, but the event isn't necessary. That's the modal fallacy. That's that's a claim you're making. You haven't proved. But that this is claim. a historical claim that the logicians have made for a long time. That's right outside of the stream of Molinism, this and it only different. works in open theism. It doesn't work in Molinism. Molinism. Well, that would be that would be how would you. How do you show that that's true? Uh, by going to the definitions of these words. If you're throwing necessity all together and not making the distinctions, well, then you're not understanding the argument. Is that correct? One more time. I'm trying to find uh, William Lane Craig's uh, definition. Okay. I'm going to drink my Baja Blast. Okay. So I'm going to read his uh, paragraph uh, on uh, modal logic. One of the sub-disciplines uh, of, sub of advanced logic is modal logic, with deal, which deals with a notion. Hey, Chris, can you put this up on the screen? You're cutting out, too. 
or I'm cutting out. Yeah, I think Chris is cutting out. Okay. Let me see if I can message him some other way. He sometimes has bad internet. <sighs> Baja Blast. <laughs> It was necessary that Chris Chris cuts out <laughs> by divine decree. <laughs> In all possible worlds, he was going to disappear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now he's gone. I try to call him. I think I. We're experiencing technical difficulties. <laughs> we need I'll, I'll keep checking out the show. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and start eating though, but I'll I'll wait for you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. Did a meteor drop on him? This is a shame. Yeah, he's not answering his phone either. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it is interesting, is it? I don't think it's a power outage, though. I think it's. Hello. Oh no. I I think it's uh, I think it's internet just dropped out. I. What is funny though is that when it does drop out, it still didn't make me the host, as far as I know. I I'm still a guest, which means like. I don't know what happens. Can he just get back into the same stream? Does he suddenly become host again? I guess this is my show now. Yeah, yeah, good question. You know, it might be interesting uh, for Jamie to come and just sort of try to make the case for Molinism. He can try to explain it as best he can. It seems like one of the issues, though, is that Jamie is not fully read up on the arguments that they make. 
And so he's using a lot of appeal to authority. And I don't know, like, that makes the discussion a little complicated. Uh-oh. Uh, are, are we back now? You are back. <laughs> oh, my was, internet went out. I'm sitting here by myself trying to trying to keep the thing alive. I don't okay. know what would happen if I disappeared, too. Well, I'm yeah, I don't know. It'd just probably disappear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jamie said that he's he's going to finish his Taco Bell. Fantastic. Um, so I got to read this definition. and Put uh, it up on the screen, though, because it obviously is something that you're not just going to hear it to understand what you said. All right. Let's see if I could do that. Um, share screen. All right. We got that. Let's um, try to zoom in. So we can know the basic truths about modal logic. I don't want to get us too off track because I have covered this in uh, quite quite a but, lot of detail. I, I don't know. I, I can't say that this is off track because it sounds like this is the foundation for what William Lake Craig is saying. So you have to, in some sense, understand this to know what he's talking about. What he even means by the word potential, right? Okay, so here's the definition. Statements which could not have had a different truth value than the one that they have are said to be necessarily true and necessarily false. Could not have had. A different truth. So what does a truth value mean? That means... Because uh, uh, I don't think it means Taco Bell. Jamie will eat Taco Bell at uh, on Jul July 30th, 2021. Uh, which is Jamie does eat and then had eaten. So, so their definition of truth value does not mean that it has to be actualized, right? That's what William Lane Craig would say. Right. Um, I think they would uh, talk about these these propositions are tensed, and so it's not like God's knowledge is actually changing. So in, in your analogy of like the wiring where you could have red, green, or blue, or whatever the colors are, and you, you pick one, the truth value, I think they mean is that all of the wirings, all the wiring is there. And then they'd argue with God that the wiring is only one possible way. But, one, more, one more time. Okay, so you have wires leading to three LEDs or, or your, your stoplight. It could be red, yellow, green. So the wiring to the stoplight it could be any of those wires. And so fundamentally, even if it's always red, there's wiring to the yellow and to the green. And so they'd say that the truth value of whether it's red, green, or blue, or red, green, or yellow, is based off of the um, different colors that it has, but not necessarily which one is getting the current at any given time. I think that's what yeah, they're Yeah, something like that. So value. a stoplight might have three different states in a very simplified example. But it God knows which state is going to actualize. But, but I, so I kind of understand what people talk about when they when they talk about God being a necessary being, because what what you would say is that the stoplight wouldn't be a different stoplight if it was at red versus green. It would be the same stoplight, but it has different possible different conditions for existence. Whereas what they say, what they say with God though is that there is no red, green, or yellow. God is always just red and the wiring is only capable of red right and so but look at look at the definition here 
And so let's let's assume in Molinism that God has a timeless knowledge that's unfalsifiable of all things that exist. It, it could even grant them that there's some sort of non-chronological way that God knows this. Well, it's an eternal, number one. It's unfalsifiable, number two. How, how could it have been otherwise than what it is? How could Jamie have eaten somewhere? I mean, we could think about it, but just because we could imagine something in our head doesn't mean it, that thing could actually ever happen. How could it be true that Jamie didn't eat at Taco Bell, given the fact that God had eternal and falsifiable knowledge of that event? So so this is the dignum to you thing. Like, you could, you can imagine Jamie eating at somewhere other than Taco Bell. Yeah, but I could also and imagine God not existing. But... but, but but this is what they're saying. Then it wouldn't be God, right? And I'm saying that it, this... it would still be Jamie if you imagine eating it. But they would argue that God doing something other than what He's done means it's not God anymore, right? And I'm saying that if this could have been otherwise, then that also violates their understanding of who God is, because God has this type of omniscience. Because God has potentiality. Because uh, if yeah, you're adding potentiality to God, uh, would which is. In Molinism, they don't think God is a simple being. Um, William Lane Craig denies God being a simple being. And uh, my source is William Lane Craig when I asked him uh -huh. directly. Um, but <laughs> that, that's... Can I ask a question? Go ahead. Yeah, so it seems like I was just, you know, there's this idea of the freedom. So, I, it, you know, I've heard William Lane Craig, Tim Stratton, they'll talk about... Um, and I, I think I used to hold this kind of view where, um, okay, because when I held to an omniscience view, I would say that, uh, yeah, God knows, uh, you know, what was, you know, what he knows what our free choices are going to be, right? He, like, uh, so his foreknowledge wouldn't, isn't fixed, it's based on what we do, right? So if we were to do something else, that's what God would have known. Right. I mean, that, that's right. how it's that's kind what of I'm explained. Right. But so it seems to me that that that, uh, uh, you know, that fact that uh, what God knows is based on what I do, based on my free will on Molinism is contradictory to what this view that Chris is explaining. That's eternal, non-discursive, unfalsifiable. Uh, you know all this stuff yeah, because it's contingent on the what we actually do. Go ahead. Does God gain knowledge from outside Himself? Ed? So that, that's another question. Uh, what is the mechanism? That, that, so these these are all different questions than our original question. What is the mechanism by which God gains the knowledge of what we do? Because if it's not actually from us, then that's telling us that we have zero free will. That we are just input output uh, biological machines. And uh, you could know our our actions in meticulous detail if you knew our exact makeup and then the inputs that you put into us. Like if you replicated me in some sort of simulator and gave the exact same inputs, I'd give those exact same outputs every single time. That's what it suggests. It suggests fatalism. It suggests no free will. In imagine, Molinism. Imagine, uh, that, yeah, I'm, go for I'm it. Sorry. Imagine the, uh, you know, how often do we get this... Uh, charge against us that well you know if god doesn't you know if god doesn't know these things how you know 
how can you know how could any of us promise how can we trust anything he says right i mean like when you see it in that light of the uh, reverse argument you just mentioned it just seems kind of ridiculous uh i don't know yeah so so the point's pretty good actually that uh you should just think of it in terms of inputs and outputs if you get the same output from the same input that's just a causal effect relationship right so it's not free like uh, if i understand properly that the idea of talking about free will is to say that you will get different outputs with the with, same with inputs. the same input there there's there's some sort of element that's indistinguishable from randomness if free will was true which but, which then your decree if even if you had an eternal decree that decree would would somehow assume that given a certain number of inputs you would get those outputs which means that you wouldn't have that random element right so okay so my first problem with molinism is that there's no no possible worlds in molinism even if even though they claim it they axiomatically it contradicts with their other axioms of god knowing all events eternally unfalsifiably there really are no other worlds that could actualize yeah we could imagine them but they just could not exist in in the model given their priors the second problem is what we're illustrating there is that there's no free will in man we are all input output robots we're biological mechanism that will always give the same output with the same inputs or else god's knowledge right. of the future right. can't be unfalsifiable and, and so to be clear then the definition it's not will is not the definition it's the word free the word free means that you we're defining it as meaning getting separate different outputs given the same inputs yeah so that's that's the second problem well i had a third but uh uh forget it offhand but going back to that uh how could in molinism how could jamie choose not to eat at taco bell given the fact that god has unfalsifiable propositional knowledge that jamie will eat at taco bell in what scenario could he have eaten elsewhere yeah what is what does could mean in molinism and i guess he's not here to tell us but i don't think they have a definition for it they just claim axiomatically because we can imagine in our mind jamie eating somewhere else that he could have eaten eaten somewhere else. Right. So Although, the argument though would be that God, you can't imagine doing anything other than what He's done, right? Because it's if you claim I, I, you it's, do, it's not, then it's not God. I don't think it's based on imagination, though. I don't think they'd ever use the word that if you can imagine it, then it has to be true. But um, going back to that, let's let's pretend that's true. That uh, God's a necessary being because that's the definition of who God is. I point out that in their definition of God also includes their definition of omniscience. William Lane Craig, in one of his interviews, uh, says that if God didn't have omniscience, he wouldn't be God. So if God's omniscience was not eternal, always part of him, it's that I think it's the same interview that we were watching earlier, then he wouldn't be God. The, God's knowledge of Jamie eating at Taco Bell is part and parcel and as necessary as God is. that knowledge of Jamie eating at Taco Bell is eternal with God, part of this eternal, necessary, unfalsifiable decree. It could never have been anything different than what it is. I think uh, we're never going to forget that Jamie ate at Taco Bell. Yeah, well, yeah, that'll be our example forever. Yeah. Well, how is it? But it can only it, be that. 
how is it that how is it um god wasn't faced with the possible worlds he could have uh, elected to create or something like that yeah so in a normal molinus molinism when i'm dealing with normal molinus they say god actualized the world that uh gives like greatest utility some sort of reasoning like that so it's it's god had reasoning and mechanism and purpose in the world that's actualized which which also uh demands the question could he have actually really actualized any other world given the fact that he acts for the greatest good god acts in some sort of mechanical way uh, to maximize utility given those facts about god could he have even uh even putting aside that eternal unfalsifiable knowledge of all things could god have chosen to actualize a different world well let me run this by you real quick if see like because this is kind of my view is it, it seems like all that's required sort of is that you know god as long as god as long as there's certain things that are in effect that in other words god is in charge he has power to make things right in the end you know um, and then he is able to, you know, be, uh, you know, active in the world and, you know, working out things. It seems to me all it has to, you know, there just has to be a certain kind of justice in place, a certain amount of freedom and responsibility and culpability. And that's all, you know, and God, it's just easy to play it out that way. Uh, doesn't have to be a certain, it could be any kind of kind of you know uh, uh, i don't know it just seems like it could be a simple world as long it doesn't have to be a world you know although if you're going to argue certain <laughs> things about god that maybe on the other hand i i think why wouldn't god make the the best most feasible world that's most feasible to, or you know the best world that he thinks is going to be best to, to my knowledge the reason that they want it to the other way is because every both in Molinism and in Calvinism, they're trying to make the greatest possible God that could possibly exist. So this is why I keep coming back to this. That you're trying to start with a definition of God and then come up with a reality based off of that. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, both claims are very interested in the current world that exists being the greatest possible world. And Jamie could jump in and uh, tell me I'm wrong if you want. Yeah, there's different, uh, thanks for having me back. There's different distinctions on what it means to have the greatest possible world. Some people think it's the most people saved. Uh, some people think it's the less suffering in incurred. Uh, I don't really have a, a distinct. Uh, but they all that agree way. that God did actualize the best possible world, right? I, I think they do. I, I'm not exactly sure on that. Uh, I, I do think, I, I think that they just have different distinctions on what that is. Otherwise, it would it would do something to God's, you know, uh, essential attributes of goodness and, and such. Which is actually pretty yep. interesting since we're talking about possible worlds. In Molinism, they, there's a standard claim that there's no possible world in which all people are saved. Well, do they, do they claim that or do they just claim that wouldn't be the greatest possible world? Now, that, that goes back to Alvin Plantinga in the 70s uh, in his necessity book where he made his argument against moral evil which a lot of people like. I've read that book twice. It's very technical in certain parts, so I don't understand it. But on the parts that I could understand, he basically, um, hold on one second. I got, I got to go. He's got to go eat the Taco Bell. 
I don't know. It sounds like he just ate it, so he's got to. Yeah, something <laughs> happens after Taco Bell. <laughs> not that, not that. <laughs> oh, okay, we're waiting for that part. <laughs> oh, boy. But, okay, he, he, he talked about a concept called Trans World Damnation. I'm sure you've heard of that, Chris, at, at least at one point. I, I think I've heard of the concept, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they talk about there are, uh, in dealing with saving people and such, uh, that there are possible worlds where certain people can't be saved. And so that goes into the criteria of, you know, what kind of world is God going to actualize, I guess. Yeah. So that, that is an interesting concept. So there is a combination of possible events that could not actualize that are actually impossible. And so there's no possible world in, in normal Molinism in which all people are saved because that combination doesn't exist through the many iterations that God can see in his mind. But but it's interesting that they're using the definition then that all people being saved is the great, greatest possible world. They're just saying, but that's not possible, right? No, they, they would say it's not a possible world. Well, they'll they'll well, say okay, that but, that's the goal is to maximize but, those saved. Right. It is interesting that that's their standard then. And they're just simply claiming that it's not possible. I, I haven't... The, what I've heard explained is that the world would just have to be so little populated to ensure that, you know, it'd be only one or two people or something and that's not worthwhile or something. You know? Right. So there'd be other standards then, right? It'd be the great, the most, I don't, I'm not saying it's a consistency with the billion people or something like that. Like you would have to have multiple rules, not just a single one. The more interesting facet of that is how they use the word possible and not possible in, in, in what we're talking about. Mm. So they're admitting that there are combinations of events that we can imagine in our head that are not actually possible. And I would say that applies to everything that doesn't exist in Molinism. Given the prior facts that God has unfalsifiable knowledge of all things, there really is no other possible world. Yeah, I mean, that's your argument that if God is omniscient, nothing besides yeah. what he knows will happen is possible. Not even God could change it. God cannot change what he knows he will do. Well, Not if omniscience is as they define it. Well, yeah. okay. So again, back now, to remember, the analogy for the, for the lights. Say your light is red, green, yellow. You could imagine that it could also be blue, but the wiring isn't there. Isn't that the argument that they'd make? So it doesn't matter. Imagination is not what makes it possible. There has to be some sort of internal logic, and just the fact that we imagine it doesn't mean that when you play it all out. The and that—that's my right. argument against Jamie eating anywhere else but Taco Bell. Well, they, 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 even though we can imagine it in Molinism, it's not a possible world. They say uh -huh. they want to allow anything that's logically possible. You know, if it's logically possible, or you know, not impossible, or you know, that's sort of then they would say that it's possible in the sense that I could have used my libertarian free will differently. But I didn't, and I wouldn't under those how, circumstances. How could you have? Well, because this goes into the necessary quantifier. It's not necessary that I do this because I'm the ultimate arbiter of what I do in this world. Using William, Clay, William Lane Craig's definition of necessary, um, how could have you have done otherwise? Because William Lane Craig doesn't say my action is necessary. He's saying God's knowledge of my action is necessary. 
Well, he, he he's just telling us what necessary means. It means you could not have uh, done otherwise. There's There could not have been a different truth value to what you did. So can you describe a scenario which could have could have actualized in which you didn't go eat at Taco Bell? Well, they deny, even in the world that's actualized, that when libertarian free creatures use their libertarian free will to choose a course of action, that that action is necessary because they think I understand that, but okay. that's what I'm trying to establish. Okay. That's what I'm, they, they claim it's not a necessary event, but I say, given their axiom that God knows all events unfalsifiably, it is a necessary event by their definition. So how would you distinguish between a necessary event and a non-necessary event in, in practical terms? How can you demonstrate that you could have actually done that in a system in which the truth value of it is eternally set and unfalsifiable? Well, it's, 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 it's again about how they said it. I know we're kind of talking past each other a little bit with regarding the, you know, the, you know, the modal fallacy of this, perhaps. But here's another distinction that maybe you haven't thought about. Of course, in libertarian freedom, uh, there are different types of libertarian freedom. There are some that uh, affirm the pat, right, the principle of alternative possibilities. Then there are those that are libertarian like myself that do not necessarily affirm it because it's more into the modal, uh, the Molinism scheme that I hold to. And that we just affirm source uh, that the sourcehood uh, issue is that I might not have necessarily a different path to choose for certain reasons, but the source of my action doesn't come from something prior to me, such as, you know, deterministic causes, the history of the world. So in that scheme that certain modalists have, it's easier to kind of evade perhaps what, this particular criticism. So say you wrote an operating system on a computer, you could always claim the operating system, the source of whatever the operating system does is the operating is the computer, right? Well, or it, the it, operating it, system. That's true, but you're, but that's a deterministic system. Well, okay, but you're always doing the same thing. That's how you know it's deterministic, right? Like, how do you deter? How do you know something's deterministic? How do you test it? If it, well, if it, you can it only, only assumptions of what goes into the decision, you know, you know, this standard hypothesis is laws of nature and history up until the present determines. What but, I do, but, but, the, you, but you're declaring by fiat that you're always going to do the same thing, right? Because that's what the decree is guaranteeing. I will do the same thing in this world because of the the, the modal yeah. scheme, as far as I know it. So but, this is where there's all these determinism, right? You given the same inputs, you always get the same outputs. You're declaring that that's the truth, right? It's not, but it's the inputs don't determine deterministically what it is that I would do despite the fact you always get the same outputs like what is the definition of deterministic then <laughs> well the, again the it, it's about how the inputs affect the person yeah so we're we're this a computer has free will under your definition because it'll process inputs and give the same output every time right if it's if it's programmed to do that a human creature isn't programmed to do that but How do you know? So here's here's the thing. That's just an axiom that people have with respect to libertarian yeah. freedom. Okay, so we started the podcast. I don't know if you heard us, but we said that Molinists, they propose mutually exclusive axioms. And one of your axioms that we've encountered so far is that these events, like Jamie eating at Taco Bell, have modal truth values. You haven't demonstrated that. You haven't given us a test to show whether events have modal truths or not. You just claim it by fiat, as we pointed out. 
And now you're claiming by fiat we have free will, even though that violates the basic definitions of determinism in which something's going to give the same outputs with the same inputs every single time. And so your, your axioms are mutually exclusive with each other. You haven't demonstrated your axioms truth value. You're just declaring without evidence that your axioms are true. Well, I think I think this also goes into the again the, the possible world semantics. So there are some possible world semantics that disagree with Molinism, uh, as far as I know. You know, I'm not the expert. I'm just, you know, a guy that reads books sometimes. Uh, but that a lot of the Lewis Stallnacker possible world semantics, if you read some of the literature, they, they reject those because of the disagreement on how close certain possible worlds are to how a person will react or not react. And I'm not, you know, technically astute to really get into that type of stuff. But th those are some of where I think these issues are, are argued amongst those that are more intelligent than I am. Yeah, so th that, that's my problem. Uh, a claim is just a claim. Uh, claims need to be established. They need to have evidence. And so if you have two mutually exclusive claims, like all events have unfalsifiable eternal truth values and events could be otherwise, you need to actually demonstrate to us in some positive way, rather than just making the claim that those events actually have modal truth values, that they could have been otherwise. We haven't seen that demonstrated. It's just a claim. And so why, why should we be compelled to accept that claim? Why would we think that's logically consistent with your other axioms? I personally don't see an issue with it because we're, we're going off of different constructs. Uh, that well, we're not, question we're not that you talking have right about, there, yeah, we're not talking about my beliefs. Yeah, because I don't believe the inputs caused the, the person's decision. And I believe that the modal qualifiers uh, uh, of, what, of what necessity would it look like? are mixed up in the argument. Describe what it would look like if the inputs determined the, the outcome. Th they would be naturalistic processes, such as, you know, cause and effect. See, libertarian people that hold to libertarian freedom deny the, the aspect of cause and effect in the human psyche to initiate, you know, this action or that action. Right. You, you, you accept that yourself. Yeah, but I'm not a Molinist. And so uh, I don't have this idea that if, all truth because values. The, God, the world that God actualizes doesn't do that. Right. What, but you, what the world that God actualizes has eternal truth values for everything. Yeah. Uh, independent of us. So, right? so that goes into the scheme that they that Molinists believe that there are truth values associated with these creaturely counterfactuals that God knows. Now, how, do, how does God know this? That. How does God know what we're going to do? Molina calls it super comprehension, as far as I remember. What's the mechanism by which he is gets acquainted he, he knows with this it knowledge? By, by fiat. Yep, that's what Molina says. He just knows it naturally. Right. I mean, in his middle knowledge. And then yeah. what causes our actions to line up with God's knowledge? I'm not sure what that because really means. What God knows it. the truth value of whether you eat at Taco Bell. How did we get to a state where you actually choose that Taco Bell to line up with God's knowledge that you're going to go to that Taco Bell? I guess God actualizes that particular world where I do that, where that truth value is zero or one. But that, right? that sounds like programming, though, doesn't it? You're saying that your will will always do this thing. So, man, man, I, so it, it, sounds, 
It sounds like one constant determinative thread throughout history would have to be, you know. There are philosophers historically that deny that these creaturely counter. This is not a Molinism issue, right? I I think Russell understands it. Philosophers who disagree with them. That they would say that do creaturely counterfactuals have truth values? And some people say no, and some people say yes. That's just, you know, I don't really have an answer to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and say the only people who could actually believe that uh, propositions have modal values are open theists. No one else can consistently claim that. Because in every other value, except for open theism or atheism or some, some sort of system in which God doesn't have eternal propositional knowledge of all truth values, only in those systems can propositions have different truth values than the, than the ones they have. Chris, could you explain modal truth value? Or okay, so modal truth value, I have it pulled up in Molinism and, and in modal logic. Uh, it, it distinguishes between things that are necessarily true and things that are possibly true. So uh, the example he uses is some guy teaching somewhere, um, it, and he takes it for granted that that guy could have te- taught somewhere else. But if fatalism was true, um, then his example is not very good, and... Uh, and it should be rejected if fatalism is true. But uh, the idea is that I, I didn't have to wear this gray shirt today. I could have wore a black shirt. That, that, that is a possibility. It, it could happen. I've been known to do it in the past. Um, but it, it wasn't a necessary truth. It, it was something that could have occurred, didn't have to occur, and that that uh, and it didn't occur. But at some point in history, this this had some sort of propositional truth value. And uh, the idea of a necessary truth is something that must exist in all worlds. And the classic example is God's existence. And you're going to hear typically the greatest good argument where, or, or basically God is the, a maximally great being and a maximally great being who exists is better than a maximally great being who doesn't exist. Therefore, God exists. Something like that. Uh, to claim that there's not actually a possible world in which God doesn't exist. They would deny that God could uh, suicide, deicide himself out of existence. They would okay, think that's, that that's what I was going to say. Okay, they would no. deny that God is even capable of, of deicide, it? of himself. Okay, because De- I can, suicide. I, it seems like the greatest God idea would include a God that wouldn't de, you know, do deicide or whatever. But I don't see how they could deny that God would be capable of doing it if he were to choose to do it. Well, does God choose to do anything in a system? Does God have free will? Yeah. And that's that's a third problem, one that we haven't touched on yet. In Molinism, God cannot do other than what God knows is going to happen. There's He can't ever change his mind. He is fated. He's as much subject to fate as us in all that exists. Arguably, they'd say he's he, arguably he's the most fated because if there is some truth statement to the claim that we're not fated, then it doesn't apply to God. Right. And oh, so that's one thing I point out in my other video is uh, God's knowledge is as contingent or less contingent than the subject of his knowledge, right? So uh, let, let's say there's a red car. Me knowing about this red car doesn't, uh, it doesn't have any effect on whether this red car exists or not. If I didn't know about the red car, the red car would still exist. And I can know the red car exists 
but my knowledge of the red card is going to prove that that red card exists. So if, if we have a statement and it's, it's our, our axiom and we say, Chris knows there's a red car, we could conclude from that, that that red car exists. What we have knowledge of is uh, less contingent or as contingent of our, as our knowledge of that thing. And so for God to have unfalsifiable eternal knowledge of all things, all things have eternal unfalsifiable truth values. They're not contingent events. So everyone will have to go pull up that other one. In, in that video, I pull up all William Lane Craig's definitions. I put them flashing on the screen so we're reminded of them throughout. And then we see how well his axioms jive with each other. Remember, so, a claim is just a claim, and mutually exclusive claims means one or both of those claims are false. John? I'm just a, so, so you're saying that modal logic really only works with uh, open theism. Yeah, modal logic only works in a system that's not faded or predestined or you, has any sort of eternal truth values associated. But, but you're not actually disproving it, at least in this particular case. You're just saying that you don't have the problem of mutual exclusivity. You're not proving that modal logic is true based off of any of these arguments because you oh, I, I'm have not. the same problem as he does, which is that you can't you can't just like run the same test over and over again because you, you literally can't get to the point where you start from the same conditions. Yeah, my my system doesn't have the internal contradiction. So I'm not saying yeah. that my system that can, can prove, prove your claims. You and I'm, I'm not even claiming these categories. I'm not even claiming that these categories are representative of the world, uh, that this, these could be category errors. But in Molinism, when we're, when we're criticizing Molinism, we need to do an internal critique, look at what their claims are, and then see if those claims are internally consistent. Sound. Mm -hmm. So I'm not adopting modal logic, uh, but modal logic only works in a system in which there's actual modal possibilities, which it's not demonstrated. Uh, uh, Molinism does not demonstrate. It's, it's actually just an axiom that they don't demonstrate. They just claim that the events that do happen could have been otherwise, and they just make the claim. They don't demonstrate that that's the which case. Which is what you do, too. When do I do what? That, that some events that haven't could have been otherwise. Right, but it, what Chris is saying, it, right? but, but Chris, uh, Chris's well, system yeah, well, is it, it conceivable. That's a contradiction. Right. Yeah. That you're not going to have a test that disproves fatalism. Uh, you, you, yeah. you could probably get some good evidence. So let's, let's pretend that, that you could uh, replicate stuff and uh, put someone through a transporter and replicate them, and they give them the exact same inputs and the exact same scenarios. And you can test to see whether or not their reactions are going to be different. If they prove that there's randomness in the universe, I went to a randomness conference who, who points out the random, randomness in physics points to an open universe. And that's also a possibility. Yeah, the randomness would have to be random enough that it creates significant differences in the large-scale results, which is like what you call chaos theory, by the way, that it's a randomness that has 
that small changes lead to very guess theory doesn't have to be random but it means that small changes lead to very sharp distinct differences. so even if you have something on the most microscopic level ever and there's a particle that could have been here but it randomly goes over here instead but it could have randomly went elsewhere that means there's the futures epistemologically open in some sense it's not fatalism well great but you could have some you could have a universe that's 99.999%. Right. Fatal. You could have fatalism on a macro level, but randomness on a micro level. Those, right. those are possible worlds. Right. And so uh, typically when I start interacting with uh, philosophers about what the current state of the world is, your best evidence is going to be your experiential knowledge, how you experience the world. You know, I, I feel like I'm making a decision uh, to do something or not. Maybe, maybe I'm not. Maybe everything's all faded. Maybe everything in my brain is just an input-output mechanism. But that's not what my experiences are telling me. And so I'm going to have to default with my experiences when I'm trying to parse the world around me. All right, Keith writes, uh, today Molinism is for people who want Star Trek to be true. Yeah, after the, there was a big Star <laughs> Trek Universe's uh, episode in which all realities were spawning all at once, and then all these different enterprises from all these different realities like came together, and there's one where they're blowing up, and there's one where they had beards. <laughs> like, that's the biggest thing. It's like all the same crew, but one crew, everyone has beards on, and then the other one, they don't. So that's interesting. That's cool. But yeah, so um, what I also experienced, moving on with my talking points, we covered a lot of them. Uh, my last paragraph, often, if you don't accept Molinism, they claim that you just don't understand Molinism. Uh, and so that, that seems to be code words for you don't blindly accept my claims. It's, it's my experience. Uh, I also have watch for the sleight of hand. If you talk about God's unfalsifiable knowledge, They'll say, yes, but it could be different. Well, you haven't demonstrated that it could be different. That's that's just a claim. That's that's axiomatic. And that actually contradicts with your other claim that God's knowledge of all events are, is unfalsifiable. You haven't demonstrated that there is a possible world that could have actualized in any scenario. And, and the fact that you claim that even God now cannot subvert what he knows would happen demonstrates that it's actually not a possibility that anything else happens in the Molinist system. Yeah, I don't think anyone could ever demonstrate that it could be a different possible world. But but whether it's internally inconsistent is the big question. Right. So I, I think I think I'm well equipped enough in order to do an intellectual Turing test on Molinism to actually demonstrate if I know Molinism well enough to accurately represent it and to such an extent that I would be taken for a true advocate of Molinism. I think I would pass the test and uh, I'll have to try to find a venue in order to try that. Maybe some people who don't know me or something like that, but I think I could. So I think I understand Molinism. I think I've read enough Molinist uh, literature. I just don't accept a lot of their premises. I don't accept that their axioms are consistent with each other. I reject the idea that things without possibility of happening are possible things to happen. I re reject that premise altogether. And uh, I, I just I point out that if in a, in a future, which all truth claims are eternally faded and uh, can't be falsified, 
there's no free will. There's there nothing else could happen other than what is known to happen. And so that, uh, those are some of my closing thoughts. Anyone else have some closing closing thoughts for us? Well, I don't know. I just wanted to say, um, you know, so much of this depends on the perfect being theology, it seems like. And I just I had to just comment on a video you I think I would just watch with you and John, maybe where and you can comment it. It had to do with a God with one hat or then and then you said, well, no, what about God with two hats? OK, so, yeah, that, that was the comic with Will Duffy where um it, it was is is uh, lambasting this this idea of maximally great being theology because it gets so very subjective, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm saying, well, I think a god with a hat is better than god without a hat. And Will Duffy's like, well, my model, God has two hats, and so that's, that's <laughs> twice as good as your model. It's just like, okay, is, is this how we do theology? We like spawn exactly. spawn theology into existence by what we conceive of as the greatest being. Oh. Pink is the best color, so God must be pink. Another guy's like, no, God must be colorless because colorless is better than pink. And you're like, no, pink's <laughs> better than colorless. <laughs> but uh, Jamie, any parting thoughts for us? Enjoying those no, talking bells? Learning, I'm always learning myself and uh, reading books and stuff like that. And uh, I'm not an expert. Uh, I don't have all the answers. I'm just sharing a little bit of what I've learned in the last couple of years okay. when I have read and interacted with I'm stuff. I'm very glad that you showed up because like it, it, it feels weird trying to try to talk about something without someone acting as an advocate for it, right? Yeah, it'd be better to have an expert. There are plenty of experts on yes, the Molinism sure. page, for instance, Tim Stratton, of course, and some of those, he's he's an expert. I'm sure that he can have direct answers. Of I don't think he likes me very much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he dislikes anybody as a Christian. I would hope not, uh, but Maybe he doesn't like your tactics or something. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. <laughs> My tactics. I wasn't trying to be controversial on his Mullins page. I don't. Maybe I'm kicked out of that page. I don't know. I should go check. You got on his page? They wouldn't even I, let me on. Yeah, you, you had to sign certain beliefs. Oh know? no, uh, then, that's a different one. I wasn't oh, allowed okay. on that one. But uh, there's some sort of other Mullins page or something that I'm on, and then uh, yeah. I just started asking basic questions like. Can the knowledge that God has be falsified? And that's where I got that quote from Tim Stratton stating that God has unfalsifiable knowledge, truth values, because mm -hmm. that's that's a very basic thing to establish when interacting with Molnus, by which you could show them that their other claims don't follow, their other claims don't, mm -hmm. they're mutually exclusive with the other claims in Molinism. If God has this type of knowledge that's unfalsifiable, ungenerated, timeless, and uh, that's when they start going to that logical priority rather than chronological uh, priority, uh, claiming it's, that there are possible worlds in which these things can exist. So it's kind of like you could always like if you wanted to, you could always be pointing that out to Tim right at those critical times. Just like like you could always remind Calvinists of their determinism. You know, they they often forget it. They forget about it, you know, when they're explaining some of their stuff, you know, real life or whatever, you know, it doesn't play out in real life. Right. So if you just, you know, whenever they're complaining about something, you know, like, well, yeah, excuse me, brother. God determined that. Why are you complaining against what God's <laughs> they, determined? They, they, don't really believe, now. they don't believe their own theology. They really Does, don't. Am I right? You know, so. And they, and, they and, get and mad. So you can remind Tim, Tim, God has 
you know, un, you know, this knowledge that, you know, how you described it. Go ahead. Well, uh, I was just going to point out that, uh, well, like in my Isaiah debate, I point out to him what we're actually debating is his idea of omniscience, which is not just the simple statement, oh, God has this knowledge of propositions of the future. Your your actual claims about God, God's knowledge is it's uh, ungenerated, eternal, non-discursive, non-falsifiable. It's exhaustive. And, you know, it's, it's an mm -hmm. eternal simple act within God. Mm -hmm. And so once we start actually dealing with their actual claims, it's a lot harder for them to debate because they like to do a Moat and Bailey thing where they they make absurd claim and then they backpedal. It just happened to me. Uh, what was it? Today. Today, um, I posted a meme somewhere that said uh, John Calvin. It was about John Calvin. And someone's like, oh, is this criticizing John Calvin? I'm like, well, John Calvin did execute a man who was begging for legal representation. He said, that's false. So then I start posting all these quotes from both Servetus and from Calvin. Calvin taking credit for the murder and Servetus complaining that John Calvin's trying to murder him and, and Servetus asking for legal representation. I'm like, who said these quotes? And then he backs off to this other claim like, well, you know, uh, it's a different time and we're judging them by different standards. It's Moton Bailey. He throws yeah. out this, this, this uh, really extreme claim that John Calvin didn't murder Servetus who was begging for legal representation. And then he has to backpedal to this more defensible claim, which, which we probably shouldn't judge people by modern standards and we have to understand cultural nuance. It's his backpedaling. Yeah. So Moat and Bailey, that's just uh, one example. But anyways, we'll probably end there. We're about uh, an hour and 40 minutes, like 40 minutes of which was my internet went down. And so John had a monologue. <laughs> Yeah, so I, don't, I don't know if he read Old Man in the Sea or anything like that. Probably not. Everyone would be asleep. That's a terrible book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't read that <laughs> book. <laughs> Magic card also. Was, uh, that, was that Hemingway's last book? And he shot himself afterwards. Uh, yeah, uh, he, imaginably. He, he, couldn't, oh, he, wow. like, he couldn't even stand the fact that he wrote that book. <laughs> well, what, what was Kurt Cobain's last song? Or maybe he had a he had a reading lit class. And uh, Red Old Man in the Sea. <laughs> Uh-oh. Some dark humor. Anyways, uh, we'll end there. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. God bless.